Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio uh, going via Zoom. We love doing these Zoom podcasts because we've got the ability to do some recording here uh, for our audience that hopefully will see this on our YouTube channel, but also here on our podcast channel. But I've got a special guest with us today, author, enthusiast, financial planner, David Richmond. David, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple podcast. Thanks, Dino. I'm really excited to be here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, uh, I know it's a little bit early where uh, you are. You're out in Vegas or uh, Nevada, I should say. I don't think you're right in Las Vegas, but in Nevada. Uh, so we appreciate you joining us on the podcast yep. early. So I, I wanted to yeah, definitely. give our audience an opportunity to kind of hear your story. I, I know you and I connected, full disclosure, uh, you had reached out to us, you're involved with another charity that's involved in the cancer space, which I hope we'll talk a little bit about, uh, but you've done some pretty amazing things personally and recently have written another book uh, that really kind of encapsulate mm -hmm the cancer journey from so many different angles. Um, but what we always traditionally do is we give our guests the opportunity to share a little bit about their background. Some people may know your name. Some people may be hearing your name for the first time. Um, and this is really your opportunity to share with our audience kind of your story, maybe some, some things about your background and then bring us up to speed on where you are today. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks, Dino. So um, I guess the story around... Um, this book started for me in like about 2006 or seven. Um, my sister was diagnosed with um, terminal brain cancer. And I, I was going through some changes in my life. I was uh, um, a single dad of very young twins. Four, my twins were four years old. I kind of had like a, a very bad abusive relationship with uh, somebody that had, uh, you know, an alcohol and drug addiction and I need to get out of there. So I, I got out of there. Um, I was overweight. I was a smoker. I, I didn't do anything athletic ever. And I just said, man, I need to start uh, changing my life. And then the first kind of thought that I had, you know, that was outside of that was just the harshness of, of my sister's diagnosis and wondering, man, you know, like life can be short. So I said, I got to start living, start to figure out what I want to do with my life. So I know that um, Project Purple relies on, you know, athletics and people doing, you know, events and raising money and stuff as a, as a great way to, to, to support your causes. And, and I started to do that. I just said, Hey, I want to, I want to become a runner. So I, uh, I stopped smoking in, in in a February, in March, I did a 5K. In April, I did a 10K and a sprint triathlon. In July, I did a half Ironman. In November, I did a full Ironman. So I went from like full-on smoker, overweight, not athletic, to doing, you know, these crazy events. Quick. And um, I, I kept, yeah, it's crazy. It's right? really quick. That's like the couch so to triathlon. Oh yeah. Right. Cast potato. To, and it's funny because I, I still don't think of myself as an athlete. I've done 15 Ironmans. I've done like 
50 runs, uh, four marathons straight in a row. I, I biked 4,700 miles across the country, but I don't think of myself as athletic. I, I still kind of see myself as that guy that's this overweight, you know, not athletic guy. I just, I'm constantly striving to see what can I, what can I do to not be that guy, you know? So, um, but what brought me to this project was uh, I was doing, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the American Cancer Society's Relay for Life. They have these, uh, yeah, you know what it is. They have these events um, where kind of you put together a team, everybody goes out to a high school track, you, you walk around the track for 24 hours and people kind of just uh, raise money for their team and the kind of supports all different kinds of cancers and it's a way for people to remember and, and support and advocate. That's a really neat thing. And uh, my sister was pretty ill at the time and said to me, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be out um, cheering on uh, my, my, my team for the whole 24 hours. And I thought, Jesus, sick as she is, that's, that's pretty impressive. So I told her I'd, I'd run for the whole 24 hours. And um, so I trained for it for a couple of months and she kind of deteriorated over that time. And a couple of days before the uh, Relay for Life, she passed away and she wasn't able to be there. But I had made a promise to her. So I was going to still do the whole 24 hours. And I really um, kind of went deep into this observation mode. And I and I saw um, that people were going through um uh, you know, this, this internal struggles in their head during this time. And they were talking about stuff and they were really good about talking the tasks on cancer. And I, I listened to a couple of your, your podcasts, Dino, and people are really like, they wrap their brains around what they need to do. How does the care happen? How do I find doctors? Um, what's going to happen to me? How can I change my diet? How am I going to need to change my diet? What do I need to do to reduce stress, to get more sleep? Like the tasks around cancer, they're really good at dealing with, but the emotions around cancer and trauma was a whole other thing. And I found that people were definitely not open to talking about those things, nor had they necessarily dealt with them. And so um, I really got intrigued by that idea of people were really open about starting conversations about their cancer and about their journey, but they were very shy and um, uh, very averse to talking about the emotional journeys that they were going through. Um, either they felt guilty, they didn't want to burden people. Um, I mean, there's a whole number of reasons why people just didn't want to talk about the emotional side of it. So I went and got, um, I cold called a bunch of cancer centers. I leaned on friends. Um, I called some doctor friends. Um, I, I looked at news articles. I just trying to find a collection of people that I thought were pretty amazing. Their stories uh, above and beyond their cancer journey were quite amazing. They involved suicide and drug addiction and abuse and abandonment, and all these other traumas. And then I said, how did those traumas, because I can relate to that. You can relate to that. Uh, everybody can relate to the fact that, you know, that we all have traumas in life and those might be affecting the way we deal with something as severe as cancer. And I said, well, let me try to talk to these people and find out how their traumas 
affected their cancer journey. Uh, whether they were a patient, a loved one, a survivor, <clears throat> um, lost a parent, you know, like you, uh, uh, lost a child, became a caregiver, became a doctor. Uh, one guy is a chief medical officer for a major um, health plan. So what is it in their life that affected their cancer journey and what emotions did they deal with? And I wanted to find, again, people that had a wide range of emotions, all different types of cancer all different severities, um, uh, people that were defined by their cancer, people that lived in spite of their cancer. Um, and then also I wanted to find people that had a wide range of emotions because uh, I came to find out that there it's not as simple as, uh, you know, fear. It's not as simple as anger or sadness or despair or optimism. It's just, there's a wide range of emotions. And um, uh, within any journey, there's a huge spectrum of emotions. And so what I wanted to do with the book was to chronicle these stories. And it took me a couple of years to get really deep with these people, um, all of them wonderful. And I narrowed it down to kind of the 15 that were the most remarkable and the most in-depth and the most open with me about their journeys. And um, uh, we wrote their stories uh, in the hopes that we would be able to start some of those tough conversations. and. Um, that, that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell, as it were, you know. But now in the book, Dave, you yeah. interwine this journey of writing across country and relating that back to yeah. these individual stories with these people, which I think is really cool. Yeah, thanks. It was, that was really, so the, the thought was this, like, how are we all connected, right? How, um, I think when, when people are going through trauma, um, they, they need a connection. They want a connection. And not everybody's able to find one, which is, which is a whole other issue. But there's so, many, um, there's so many great organizations like yours, a million others, that, that one of their goals is to connect people. And so I thought to myself, um, how, how are we all connected? And this was this idea of let, let's find people that we can all identify with, a range of emotions that we can all kind of experience or, you know, have some, you know, empathy and sympathy for um, what other people experience. We're connected that way. And I thought to myself, what better way to connect these people than to jump on my bike and go visit them? So most of them I had talked to on the phone. Uh, uh, I chose to not uh, talk to them in live or, or over video because I, I, I think better uh, audibly. And um, so I thought, what better way to connect them than to jump on the bike? So I started in um, L.A., made my way to San Diego uh, through Texas, New Mexico, or New Mexico, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, uh, down along the southern border into Florida, uh, down to Tampa. Uh, I went and visit, visited the Moffitt Cancer Center across Florida and then all the way up to New York. And I finished in Central Park. I did uh, 4,700 miles in 45 days. And I uh, zigzagged a little bit so that I could meet uh, some of these people in person, which was quite amazing. And so in the book, I, I present the 15 stories. Uh, I'm out of those stories. They're told first person from the mm -hmm. from the person that I I. I, I interviewed them. That it's their story, so it's first person from them, even though I wrote it. And then, in between each one of those stories, 
I talk about a little bit about the bike ride and the people that I met along the way. And I'm really glad that I did that, Dino, because not only was I able to connect with the book subjects and uh, the people that participated in the project, but every single person that I ran into, and I ran into a lot of people, every single one had a story of my grandfather got cancer, my coworker's daughter was just uh, diagnosed, um, my I just lost my grandmother, my wife's going through this, my husband's this, my brother that, and they said, you know, everybody had that that connection, and they all identified with the concept of we just don't know how to talk to each other about the emotional side of it. And uh, seeing that um, play out all across the country, no matter where I went, restaurants, hotels, on the road, fixing flat tires, uh, you name it, uh, thousands of interactions in that 45 days. And um, that, that was a consistent theme. So I thought we're all kind of connected by that theme. So the bike ride, you know, kind of proved that to me. It was really, it was a physical effort, but it, it was, it was a big emotional thing as well. So I know in the book, you talk about, you know, how you chose your participants. And that was one of my questions here. And, and I kind of did a quick, like analysis of, you know, the, the 15 encounters that you had. And, and I kind of quickly, like you had a couple breast cancer, prostate, lymphoma, testicular, uh, you had caregivers, uh, brain cancer, sarcoma, thyroid cancer. And then you go into, and that's, I, we don't want to give away everything in the book, uh, because we want people to, to enjoy yeah. the book and read the book, but you know, you, you talk about choosing your participants and, and the reasoning behind that. And something that I, and I guess this is where I want to kind of take this conversation, David, here for a bit is you talk about convincing people to talk and something that you just said, and I just made a note here and I had this on here, you know, and this is something that I think we experience, and we talked about this on the podcast before, you know, and, and especially with survivors, like what's the best thing? One of the questions I always ask survivors, um, pancreatic cancer or other cancers that we've had on the podcast is what's the best thing that someone, a friend, a stranger can do for you? Because we, on our side, always get, hey, my neighbor was just diagnosed. What's the best thing I can do for that person? And so mm -hmm. relating this back and that, that ex example, relating that back to your book here and your experiences that you've been through, mm -hmm. I'm going to put this out on a limb. I mean, you're an expert and how to get people to talk and deal with that emotional side. And, you know, I, I talked about how you convince them to talk, but so for our audience at home, and again, we don't want to give away too much. We, we, you know, we, we want to do, we want to get people to, to buy the book because I think it's a great book. What do you think in yeah. your experience though, that you've gone through on this journey? Like how, how do we, how do we get people to talk about it? you know, from the emotional standpoint and get them to open up. And I know you, we talk about convince, maybe there's persuasion. How, what, what are some of the best ways of doing that? Cause it's not easy. It's, it really isn't easy, you know, and it's a, it's, it's something that it took me a while to kind of figure that out. And it took me a while to even generate the nerve to be able to talk to a stranger and say, yeah, tell me about your life and the most traumatic things that have ever happened to you. And now I'm going to relate that to your experience with cancer. So let's get deep on that. I mean, that's 
that's tough, right? It's really, really hard. Um, and and I'm going to give you an example, and it's from the book, but it's something that I never get tired of giving it as an example. And and I'll and I'll, and I'll I'll tell you kind of the the postscript to it. So um, I, I'm in New Mexico, and uh, uh, my buddy is. Jumped in the car with my wife who was supporting me. She, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she is now. Um, uh, she was supporting me along the way. And he said, hey, listen, man, I got my family together and and we want to take you out for brunch. We love what you're doing and this is great. And my family's really excited. They want to talk to you. And I go, yeah, no problem. And he said, hey, by the way, uh, just so you know, my family's been touched by cancer. My father had uh, cancer about 10 years ago. Uh, he's cured, but he, he, he's good. And he's an older guy. Uh, my sister went through a bilateral, bilateral mastectomy, uh, stage three breast cancer. She was a nurse. She left her job to become a lobbyist for patient rights in the cancer community. Oh, wow. I said, pretty serious. So we sit down at this, this big table for brunch. And the dad, he's this old Mexican guy, and he, he, he waves me over and he says, come, come here. And I said, yeah. And he said, I want to tell you, this is a great thing you're doing. And I said, huh? And he said, you know, getting people to talk about their cancer, it's just an emotion. It's, it's such a journey. It's a very, very tough thing. And I went, well, thank you and appreciate that. That's very nice. Yeah. And then before uh, uh, the breakfast, everybody was sitting down. The daughter, she's in her early 50s or something, she, she pulls me over and she says, man, she starts crying a little bit. She goes, the emotions that we've gone through is just, it's unbelievable. And thank God I have this big family and the support network because, you know, these are really tough things that we're dealing with. And I just, I really appreciate you bringing this this book to us and, and, and you know, and, and and taking us along this journey. And I said, yeah, no problem. So at the end of our brunch, okay, I, I stand up and I say, thank you. And I, and I look at the dad and I go, hey, listen, I just want to let you know, not very many people are like you, right? And he goes, huh? And I said, not, not very many people are willing to share this emotional journey with their family. And he puts his hands in his laps and he looks down. And, and I said, what? What? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I, 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 didn't I don't talk about it. And I said, what? You just told me how important it is to have a book. And he goes, well, I know it's important, I, I, but I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't want to burden my family with what I'm going. I'm old school. You know, I go to work. I take care of my family. I don't want to burden them with my emotions. And I went, what the heck? You just got done telling me that. And then I looked over at the daughter and I go, well, at least you, with what you've been through, were able to talk to your dad. And she looks down and I go, what? And she said, no, I mean, I didn't really know what he went through, but I didn't want to make him feel guilty. Maybe he was going to lose a daughter and I didn't want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, you guys haven't talked about your, your cancers. And well, we talked about the cancer, but we don't really talk about the emotions of it. And I go, but you're close. And they're like, we're very close. And I go, how in the world do you not talk about it? And she goes, well, that's what we're hoping, you know, your book is going to help people like us. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so the need to have people talk, it's just crazy, right? The need to have people talk and they're just dying to do it, but they don't know how. So I'm bringing that back to your question, Dino, which is how do you, how do, you do it? One of the book participants, uh, Bobby, he uh, lost his wife to breast cancer. And at the same time that his wife was going through this, this ordeal, he and his wife were going through this ordeal, his, his dad, who he's super close to, one of the dad's childhood friends 
his wife had passed away from cancer. And Bobby calls up his dad and says, hey, how is so-and-so doing? And the dad goes, well, I don't know. I haven't talked to him in like two weeks. And he goes, what do you mean you haven't talked to him in two weeks? His wife just died a couple of weeks ago. He goes, yeah, I don't know what the hell to say to him. And Bobby goes, dad, he's been your friend for 50 years. Call him up. Ask him how the Dodgers are doing. Ask him if he's gone to the store. Does he need anything? Ask him how he's dealing with it. Is the room empty? Do you need some help cleaning out the closet? Do you want to donate some stuff? Do, do, do you have any wills or you know points you need to do? I mean, just call him up and be his friend. And he's like, I don't know what to say to him. He goes, just talk to him, right? And so that's, it's a really, really difficult thing. What And how can you get people to do it? You just got to be brave enough to talk to people. You know, you, you know this and you're, I, I, I've heard a couple of your, your guests say this. You, you don't want people looking at you with puppy dog eyes and going, oh, I'm sorry. Right? You certainly don't want to say, geez, I, I know what you might be going through. My cat died last week, right? I mean, no, it, it's, it, it, there's, there's things you, you can't do, right? But, but the things that you should do is just be brave and figure out a way to start talking about it. As much as it's uncomfortable, as much as it hurts, as much as you might think you might put your foot down your throat, talking about it is going to do a way more than not talking about it. That this is how we learn from each other. It's how we connect to each other. Yeah, I think what you just said is 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 pretty powerful, you know. And and I think that the uh, the quote, you know, brave enough to talk to people. Um, you know, is something, and and I guess, you know, we all experience things in our lives. And as you said, you went through it with your sister, June, and I know you wrote about that. And that was kind of the inspiration originally to get you off the couch, to do those triathlons that, you know, has probably been a, a big motivating factor of doing what you're doing now and your involvement in stupid cancer and writing about all these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's like, I've talked about this on our podcast often with survivors that there's this arc that everyone's on. And I know your previous experience or your current experience as well as your financial advisor. And, you know, in, in that arena, you're, you're forced to talk to people, right. To learn, to, to communicate and, you know, learn about someone's financial goals, learn about their family. What do they ultimately, you know, want to do with their life and their, and their financials and how you plan for that, right? Accordingly. And I just know that just because that's my, that was my background, you know, for, for years before I, I jumped into this thing, you know, here at Project Purple. So it's just kind of interesting to me to hear you talk about that. But, you know, we talk about this arc that people are on and have mm -hmm. been on and how maybe they don't realize in the beginning, like they've gone through this experience, but then, you know, later in life, they're able to use that experience and those experiences that they've been on for this thing later in life and the magnitude of those things, you know, yeah. like how many times have you were told no, like, Hey, I'm all set. 
you know, and any of the financial advisors listening to this, you know, know that, you know, rejection, you know, you're going to get rejected nine out of 10 times, but that one time is what, what it's really worth, you know, right. And when you're starting your career or if you've played sports, like, you know, you're going to lose nine out of 10 times, but you're, you know, you're going to strike out nine out of 10 times, but you're going to get back up to bat and, you know, uh, try to, try to get a hit, you know, so those experiences early on and how that, you know, brings you to this, this, uh, this arc that you're on, whether you're in the middle or, you know, maybe somewhere on that arc is, yeah. is really fascinating. So it's just, my point here is just to sit here and hear you talk. I see a lot of similarities in that financial services world, because I remember, you know, being coached from some senior veterans, you know, way back in the day about just having conversations and just allowing yourself to open up. And I think the one thing that I haven't heard mentioned, and I know, you know, this is something that's really big, I think, with everyone, not just cancer patients, but is that vulnerability, right? I think cancer patients don't want to feel vulnerable by letting their emotions out, nor do we, right? Because there's like the feeling vulnerable, you're, you're open to potentially people picking on you, to looking stupid, to, you know, to think that, you know, you've done something wrong. And I think, you know, cancer patients, you know, there's a lot of times where, and, and maybe you experience this in your encounters and talking to so many people, David, is that, you know, they felt like they did something wrong in order to get this. And I think there was one chapter, I can't remember, I think maybe the gentleman you just talked about, I think he had an experience twice with it uh, that I just quickly read through that, you know, like they felt like they had done something to deserve the cancer. Yeah, and that's the truth, man. Look, whether you're trying to find a doctor or a lawyer or um, uh, a financial advisor, or in my case, you know, people to open up to you, um, getting people to trust you is really it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard. Right? Finding a finding a doctor that actually cares. Is, is hard. It, it's hard. And you know this from being a financial advisor. When I was a financial advisor, I would literally go into uh, somebody's house with a paper and a pad of pen, uh, a pad of paper and a pen. And I didn't bring any materials. I didn't bring any, any business card, nothing. And I just sat down and I asked them questions. My simple goal, my only goal was to walk out of the house and have the husband and wife look at each other and go, wow, we trust that guy. Because I figure if they trust me, then I can help them. If they don't trust me, then I can't really help them because I'm not going to know their whole story. And same thing with a doctor, right? If you don't trust your doctor, you're not going to get into your details. You're just not going to because you don't believe that they're listening. Uh, you don't believe that they care. You think their mind is somewhere else and you're not important. And like you said, you feel kind of like guilty and like ashamed and you got all these other things going through your head if you trust your caregiver if you trust your providers if you trust the people that um that are that that, that, that are are empowered to take care of you it's a whole nother it's a whole nother level and so yeah getting people to trust you is super important and that's kind of on that communication thing is um you know when you're when you're when you're trying to connect with somebody, you can't connect with somebody unless you've developed trust, right? Unless you develop trust. And a lot of people are, have dealt with things 
that don't allow them to trust easily. They've been abandoned. They've been uh, in abusive relationships. Uh, they've been taken advantage of. They feel guilty about the fact that they survived and others didn't. You don't know what people have gone through that might be preventing them from opening up and, and, and being able to trust you. So that's why I think asking questions, and I'm not saying that it's, it's possible for everybody to care about everybody. That's just that's utopia. We're not, we're not there, but, but in, in the right circumstances and for the people that you run across and the people that you care about, um, just keep asking questions, right? Keep getting deeper. And, and you're right. When you, you, you might be armed or unarmed to deal with what you're going through with your cancer journey because of these other things that happened in your life. And, and I think that if you understand what people might have been going through before they encountered this trauma, then it might have give you some insight into certain things. You know, and I, I've learned that, you know, when somebody doesn't want to talk, or I feel that they're being angry or distant or um, they're standoffish about their issues and I, they're not letting me in. Maybe it has nothing to do with anything. Maybe it has to do with the fact that they're, they're, they're still reeling over some, some issue in their childhood. Maybe they're, maybe they, they, they are dealing with them something from a sibling that, that, that the sibling might be going through some horrific, maybe it has nothing to do with their cancer. Maybe it has nothing to do with anything. You just got to be patient, develop trust, and just keep talking to people. I like to use the term, it's, uh, there's a science to it, but it's not rocket science. And I feel like just talking to people <laughs> shouldn't be that hard, right? Uh, and being genuine. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say there's a science right. to talking to people, but it's not rocket science. Um, and I don't mean that in a crude or disrespectful way. I, I just think, I think maybe... You know, technology has been great and it's done some amazing things. And I feel like with technology, with messaging and texting, we've kind of lost this art of like how to communicate in a bit, in a way. And maybe that's like part of this yeah. challenge yeah. that we face with cancer and care and navigation. And especially now with COVID where everything is telehealth and, you know, people aren't necessarily meeting in person. People aren't going to people's house to, you know, console and comfort. Not that this is privy to, you know, when you were writing the book, but just given what today's situation looks like, I, I think maybe we've lost the ability to communicate effectively just because of the advances in technology a bit. Maybe that's a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but I don't know. I, I don't think it is at all. You know, you're definitely onto it. And um, I mean, how many times are you sitting down with somebody and they're checking their phone and you're like, are you present? I mean, are you here right now? Like, like what's going on? When you sit down with somebody and you really start talking to them about difficult issues, um, something magical can happen. And, um, you know, not everybody's willing to talk and not everybody has the ability to talk and you know, some people that's just not part of their existence and you have to respect that. And, and that's fine. Um, but, but I found that, uh, that this, uh, science you're talking about, um, it's kind of like, um, treatment, right? Uh, what might work for one person might not work for the other. Um, but something will work or something you can keep trying until you can find out if something will or won't work. And, some people were um, an open book. 
I asked three questions and things started gushing out. And other times it, it took 20 conversations to get to the, get to the heart of it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that I didn't cause people to have revelations, but most of the people that I talked to had these self-discovering revelations. And, and it was, it was awesome. It was awesome because once they knew that we trusted each other's story, but the only way I could tell their story is to really know their story. Once they trusted and they opened up, I think uh, most of them dealt with things that they hadn't dealt with. Maybe inside their heads they had, but even sometimes not. They just tucked it away. But a lot of them hadn't talked about these issues with anybody. And they have people that are super close in their lives, spouses and children and parents. And they just, they just didn't talk about these things. And a lot of times it's because the person that might be going through the trauma doesn't want to burden you. But by talking, we can get through these times. They don't want to make you feel bad. They don't want, they don't want to make you feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, you mentioned something before about this pandemic and it's, 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 it's causing a lot of less interaction. It's also causing, I mean, try to get a, a doctor's appointment a year ago. Like our doctors are in San Diego. Try to get a doctor's appointment in a year ago. They would say, come see me in nine months. I'll, I'll make time for you. Now, nobody's going to the doctor, right? Because they're all telehealthing and whatever. People aren't getting checkups. They're not getting their regular um, um, reviews. You know, I just went to the dermatologist. I go once a year, right? I was a kid that grew up playing in the sun. I got to hit the dermatologist once a year. And she was like, David, nobody's come to see me. It's terrible, right? So I think we are losing some of that. I will get it back, hopefully. But we're losing some of that. Um, that interaction and that normalcy of taking care of ourselves and, and, uh, and, and interacting with people. You know, look at all the people that used to go to their weekly support groups. They're not able to do that now, you know? And so it, it, it uh, you know, I'm hoping that the book is coming out at the right time for that as well, because I think that it, um, it's a bit cathartic for people to, really be able to identify with what others are going through because it might help you deal with what you're on, what you're going through. And I think we all have a little less interaction right now, a little less um, opportunity for others to get to know us. It's powerful stuff. I've got a couple questions here for you, and then we want to share with our audience where they can get the book and learn more and follow your journey. Yeah. First question, we'll go the hard one first. <laughs> What was the hardest part of this journey for you on this book? If you had to pick one. Um, physically, the hardest part was uh, biking through a hurricane. That, that was, I literally was in the middle of a hurricane on biking. That, physically, that was the hardest part. Uh, it, Getting up each day was pretty hard because I, I was putting in like literally, you know, 12, 14, sometimes 16 hours a day of biking because I was on a big metal bike with saddlebags of self-supported solo ride. And I had to get from point A to point B. And, you know, distances, I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners know distances. I was putting in 110, 120, 140 miles in a day on a 50 pound bike, 6,000 feet of climbing and getting five flats 
going with it. I mean, I was the, it physically it was ridiculous. It, was, it took me like a year. You know, my wife was like, uh, "When do you when are you going to start feeling better?" It took me like a year to feel better. better. So physically, that that was hard. I think um, uh, emotionally, pr- probably the, the hardest thing was that I was doing what. Um, would be natural, I think, for some people, which is to uh, deflect um, self-contemplation by worrying about others, right? Well, one of the stories in the book is a woman who um, t- has taken care of, she's a good friend of mine, she's taken care of person after person after person that has uh, died of cancer or a couple that um, uh, died other ways, person after person after person. And I asked her, I said, what are you going to do when there's nobody left to take care of? And she's like, wow, that's a tough question. I have no idea. I might have to start taking care of myself and come to the realization that um, that by doing these things, that didn't solve my problems. That didn't help me heal emotionally. The only thing that could help me heal emotionally was to talk about it the way I was asking other people to talk to me about it. So, um I think emotionally that that was the toughest thing. Um, I think uh, logistically writing a book is, is, is difficult uh, writing a, a good book. And I hope this one's good. I think it is, is really, really hard. And you have to trust other people, especially your editors to, to really make sure you get the story. But um, Dino, the, I think the, hard, the hardest thing about this thing overall and imagine if, if somebody did this for you. Imagine if somebody talked to you, Dino, for a while and said, tell me about it. Davey there, I think we lost you here. You got to press send. And you send it to him. And you go, hey, did I capture you properly in 20 or 30 or 40 pages? And that was scary. That was, that was scary to do. Um, and uh, thankfully, out of the final 15, uh, only a couple had some, some, some changes and most of those changes were minor, but it was scary as hell. Senate pressing send and having somebody read, um, what I interpreted their life story to be in the way that they dealt with their trauma and their cancer. Uh, that was really, really stressful. Well, it, it brings us back to being vulnerable, right? Like that's really vulnerability, right? Like you're, uh, you're opening yourself up, you know, for interpretation of someone else. It's a big deal. Right? Imagine, you know, I mean, I, I talk about this one story, Jen and, and Jen, um, her, her, her father died when she was six years old and, um, uh, you know, and then the progression of her life. And she, she, she I went to med- uh, nursing school at UCLA. And when I talked to her, she had been um, a, a, a pediatric oncology nurse at Children's Hospital uh, Los Angeles for only a couple of years. So she was pretty new into it. And um, I interviewed her and one of her closest friends and I'm sitting here going, man, I'm trying to capture the, the way that you are and the impressing Sen and having her read what I wrote about private times between her and her dad when she was six years old. 
dude, that's hard stuff. But there's not a person that hasn't read the book that hasn't commented on how much that story has touched them. And so in the end, I, I, I feel good about it, but man, was that stressful, you know? What was the best part of this journey with this book? Uh, probably having it finished, like being able to hold it in my hand. Um, um, It's funny because it was only about a month ago or so. uh, Maybe it was two months ago. uh, But my wife said to me, I I met my wife through um, a very good friend of mine. Um, uh, She's cousins. Her her cousin introduced me and I've been friends with him for for many years. And it's funny because um, she said to me, she goes, the entire time I've known you, you've been, you've been doing this. Like the entire, I don't know you when you haven't been doing this, right? Either the idea or the talking to people or the riding on the bike or whatever, our entire relationship, I've only known you to do this and to finally see something come of it, right? The book itself. So I think the best part about it is, is that, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie here, Dino. One of the ongoing good parts about it is, it's really, uh, it's it's really fulfilling and very touching when people write me a note about about the book and and how it touched them and how it moved them. Just this morning, somebody that um, that um, is is, I won't go too long into the story, but she's. She's going through a very, very serious um, about cancer. And um, uh, she read the book in one, in one sitting and wrote me this lovely note. And today she had asked me, she goes, what's your favorite story? And I told her what was mine. And then she said, well, let me tell you about mine. And this, I woke up this morning to an email from her, this long thing about her journey and how she was close to her brother and how he looks over her before he died and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, this is somebody that never would have shared this, but never would have felt comfortable to, to share this with me. And, and, and she feels that there's this common ground that we're connected in this way. That's allowing her to deal with the emotions of her, of, of her journey better. And it's so fulfilling. It's so nice to know <clears throat> that something that I, I've been trying to do actually fulfilled the goal which is letting people know that they're connected and letting people know that people care about their emotional journeys and having them feel free and safe to be able to share these things and know that they're not alone. That, that's definitely the best thing. You know, it's, again, it's a little, um, you know, uh, pointing at myself too much to, to say that, but, um, but, but really is nice to know when I get a note, um, you know, my, my father-in-law said he loves reading books at night because he only gets a paragraph in and he gets to fall asleep. And I gave him the book and, and he called up my wife and he said, I, I kind of not real happy with your husband right now. <laughs> and she said, why? And he goes, he's making me sleep. <laughs> and I went, oh, that's nice. I mean, that's a compliment, right? That's a compliment. He, he's not an emotional guy. He's not drawing emotional stories, but the book's keeping him up. That's great. So uh, I guess the best thing about it is that uh, when you care about something and it's working, 
you know, when you had the idea for Project Purple and you're like, man, we got to get this thing together. And all of a sudden you see like some major donation come in from some stranger that you've never talked to that saw your, you know, your, your site and what you're doing and kind of uh, identified with your vision and went and did a race and raised a bunch of money and sent, sent it to you uh, to do good you got to go, wow, man, this is what I really hoped for. Right. This is, this is amazing. So it's, it's, uh, it's nice to know that you're touching people in the right way. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty special. Last question for you. Um, and, and this is the, you know, I should have posed this, said this before, but I love loaded questions. So all these are loaded as you can tell. Um, why should someone read this? <laughs> Why should someone read this book? Uh, the, the why is really simple to answer. Okay, it's really simple. I think the stories are entertaining. I think they'll move people. I think people can identify with them. Um, but but really, I think why why you should read this is that there isn't a person out there that doesn't know somebody who's going through the trauma cancer or otherwise but if we don't know there's nobody that doesn't know somebody that's going through that trauma and i'm going to take it a step further and say that most of us don't know how to talk to those people don't know how to interact with them don't really know how to share what they might be going through Uh, now look sometimes they don't want to share and that's totally fine right sometimes people need to lick their own wounds and deal with their own stuff that's fine but there isn't anybody out there, I, I believe that doesn't know somebody and they, they haven't said to themselves, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk to them. Um, I, I wish I knew what they might be going through. And um, um, I think the why is, I think the book will help people start those conversations. I just do. You know, one of my book subjects, what he wanted to do was he needed to get away. <clears throat> so everybody that knew him, he would just saw, he was just tired of getting these puppy dog eye looks, you know, like, Oh, I'm so sorry about what you're going through. You know, how are you? Like, Oh, you know, like he didn't want that. Right. He didn't want that. He wanted people to sit him down and go, dude, like literally, how are you doing? This sucks. What you're going through. I'm totally feeling for you. What do you need? Instead, they were like, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, are you okay? You know, it's, he needed to get away so that he didn't have to be around people because that stuff was bothering him. And I think, you know, he's told, he found people that, 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 that knew how to talk to him and he finally opened up and was able to talk to them. But what he wanted most was for people to understand that he needed to connect with them. He needed to talk. And, and that's a long answer to your question. But I think the why is um, by reading these stories and understanding that, various traumas that people have gone through and how that affects their cancer journey, understanding that and seeing it in so many different forms uh, uh, in these different stories will definitely help us start conversations. Powerful stuff. Last thing, and probably one of the most important things here uh, on this podcast is if someone is listening to this podcast, wants to read the book, wants to connect with you, engage, find more out about you, where is the best way to do that, David? Thanks, Dino. Um, yeah, I probably should mention this more often because 
Uh, I've just taken it for granted that people assume it because I said it one time. But um, part of the reason that of the why too is that wherever the book is sold, um, 100% of the net proceeds are going to the cancer-related organizations that the book participants uh, picked, and other organizations like yours, other ones that the Cycle of Lives um, uh, nonprofit supports. So. 100% of the net proceeds are going to support these cancer-focused charities. So uh, that that's a why. But uh, where where could they can find more information? Is at my website. It's cycleoflives.org. Um, where can they get the book? Most books are sold on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, um, uh, Walmart, Apple, wherever. Uh, my website. I sell the book directly. Uh, my publisher is definitely down with that because by cutting out the middlemen, that's a bigger chunk of money that can go to the organization. So um, I, I sign books. Um, I got boxes of them here that are going out today. Um, uh, so they can buy the book, uh, uh, hard, you know, paperback or electronic copy um, via my website or via most, most sales would be Amazon. Um, and it's just cycle of lives. Uh, is the book. And if they want to find out more about what we're doing and the different organizations that we're supporting, um, they can go to the website, which is psychoalifestyle.org. David, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your story. And also for our listeners at home, we've got a special offer for you. If you want to order David's book on his website, cycleoflives.org, use the special code PURPLE at checkout. And 100% of the net proceeds of your sale will come back to Project Purple. Again, cycleolives.org. Use the special code PURPLE at checkout. And 100% of those net proceeds come back to Project Purple. Thank you, David, for sharing your book with us and our audience and the opportunity to hear your story and inspiring so many. Thank you at home for listening to the Project Purple podcast. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share this podcast with others. And until next time, please be safe and thanks for listening. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Yeah.